Legally Blonde, Suits, My Cousin Vinny. All badass lawyers, all different. Which begs the question, what type of lawyer do you want to be? Don't waste another second thinking, ugh, I don't even know what types of lawyers there are. Trust us, we've been there. Let's put a stop to that once and for all. Go take the 90-second quiz from new lawyer now what coach Angela Vorpal to give yourself a clear picture of the best fit type law for you. Go to www.whattypeoflawyerquiz.com and take the quiz today. Once you've taken the quiz, send us a DM on Instagram to let us know what type of lawyer you got. We can't wait to hear. This is Ladies Who Law School Podcast. I'm Sam. And I'm Haley. And just a quick word from our sponsor, Barbary Law Preview. So Barbary Law Preview is a course that you take before you start law school. So if you're applying and getting into law schools right now, this would be eligible for like next fall. So you would take the course. It has all of your core subjects and you get to learn all of the things that you need to know to get a leg up on your peers. You can take the step towards being the best law student you can be with Barbary Law Preview, you guys. Go check them out on lawpreview.barbary.com and on any of the courses, you can use LWLS100 to get $100 off your course today. We hope that you do it, guys, because seriously, I know I wish I would have. This episode is also sponsored by Barcast Audio. So Barcast Audio are podcasts like audio lessons where there's mnemonics and multiple choice questions to kind of test you while you're doing your laundry at the gym in the car i personally like to listen in the shower for all of you taking the bar this year barcast audio has a special offer just for you guys you can use lwls at checkout at barcastaudio.com to get 10 percent off your order of the seven subject nbe pack and it includes audio lessons, which just like Samantha said, you can do those and listen to those all over while you're doing all kinds of different stuff. And you also get essay workshops, which are really great because I know that that's on the bar, as well as attack sheets, which help with the mnemonics like Samantha was talking about. So basically anything for any type of learner, you can also go to Barcast Audio and check out the other products that they have and see what might fit better for you if you're not taking the bar. But if you are taking the bar, guys, we really recommend that you get this and use code LWLS at barcastaudio.com. We are so excited for you guys to listen to this episode this week. We are talking to the trademark attorney. I'm sure if you follow us on Instagram, you definitely probably follow her on Instagram. So this was a much awaited chat and yeah, we are really excited. Please help me welcome our guest who got her undergrad at Villanova University, got her JD at Cardoza School of Law is now a partner at her law firm and a new mom. Please help me welcome Francesca Witzberg. Well, guys, please help me welcome our guest, Miss Francesca Witzberg. So, Francesca, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hey, guys, thanks so much for having me. A um, little bit about myself. I'm a trademark attorney. I'm a new mom. I'm a partner at a law firm. I'm a marathon runner and I am of trademarks and branding. Um, That's really a couple of, you know, high level descriptions. And what my day consists of is being a mom, taking care of my family and working really hard and dealing with all branding issues. Wow. That's awesome. So you're a new mom. How old is your kiddo? He's nine months. He was born in the like the peak of the pandemic, actually. Came two months early and is super healthy now, thankfully. Thank you know, thank God. But it's been a wild ride. <laughs> I can only imagine. Wow, that's awesome. So you're a new mom. You said you're a marathon runner. Is that something you do to like relieve stress? Tell us a little bit about that. 
<laughs> okay. So as, as we all know, um, being an attorney and even a law student can be really stressful. There's a lot of, there's a lot of pressure to do really high quality work as quickly as possible without mistakes. Mm-hmm. And that pressure really does, does build. And I know we read the lawyer memes and the jokes about how attorneys use alcohol too much, but mm-hmm. you know, that there is that, there's a lot of reality to that. And part of it becomes because it is because of how high pressure and stressful our jobs can be. So for me, I started using exercise as a form of stress alleviation. And my husband and I purchased the Peloton bike and it completely transformed our lives. So we really made it a priority to work out in the morning. And at my former job, you know, up until COVID even happened, I was commuting three hours a day into the city. So I had to get up at five or five thirty to get a workout in. And, you know, some of my some of my workouts involved literally six AM pitch black runs with, with a reflective vest and a headlight, but I just didn't care. I, I focused and prioritized my exercise. And with that, I was prioritizing and still do prioritize my physical and mental health. And that has been something very important to my career and just overall um, how I function on a daily basis. And with that, I started just getting into running. And Peloton also has running videos, not just cycling for anyone interested. And, you know, my husband and I started training for a marathon. It's totally random, but we did it. And it's really funny because people I worked with were like, I don't even think I told some people I was running a marathon. I just kind of did it and then made a post about it. <laughs> people were like, why? Francesca, how do you find time to do this? Like, I, you know, I, being at a big law firm, you have to bill a lot of hours and um, it, it's just a lot. But my answer is I made the time and I prioritized it. Prioritizing for me is very very important. And it sounds like a simple thing just to, you know, make, make a list of goals, make a list of to do to do's and, and slowly check them off or, or plan. Um, but it's really critical to, to success. That's what I've found. So with that, you know, just in general, I use exercising, working out, uh, as a, it, it's a daily ritual, of mine. And it's been very important for me. That's great. I mean, I know that we definitely preach for people to get their exercise in. I know that we both feel so much better when we actually do exercise. Like you said, it it can get really busy in the time to carve out, like you really have to prioritize it. And I think uh, lawyers in general, they don't take care of themselves in ways that they should. And I see very high stressed lawyers all the time. And I think if they would, I don't know, how do we tell the legal community that they need to take care of their physical and mental health more, you know, because they talk about it in school and stuff, but Mm -hmm. how do we really reach all these people that don't have social media and lawyers telling them, you know, you should take care of yourself. Like, do you, do you have a solution to that? I think a lot of it comes down it's both ways, right? It's definitely a, it needs to be from within. So people need to make it a priority themselves, but also it's a top down issue. If you're in an environment and a workplace where you're expected to be in and logged in at 8am and you're expected to work until 8pm expected to come in on weekends. Sometimes, you know, it's the it's the systems that we're in and the culture that continues to drive that. And another thing is uh again, alcohol. 
a lot of our social events, you know, prior to COVID involved happy hour. And, and, and I'm speaking also from being a big law attorney in, in Manhattan. So the way we, we connected was by going to bars and going for happy hour and grabbing lunch and, you know, brunch, those things. And so a lot of it is, um, was using those types of, of, of things. And what I found is if I, you know, had happy hour on a Thursday night, it, it was nearly impossible for me, even if I had two drinks, okay, two glasses of wine, I'm, I'm old now. And so that really gets to me. (laughs) And that may make the difference of me getting up at on Friday and working out and, and not. So I think, I think just, we need to re reevaluate going forward in our post COVID world, integrating more healthy routines in our social networking, because, you know, being an attorney, especially when things go back to normal, people are going to want to meet up. We're going to want to have in-person networking events and things like that. So I just think that if we encourage exercise and those types of events, like mental health events for social events, and also more flexibility, I am sure you guys have seen a bunch of my posts. I really am a big advocate for flexibility, which means if someone wants to, to get up and work out and go for a long run and maybe log in at 10 a.m. instead of 9, but is willing to work maybe maybe till 7 p.m. instead of 6, we should encourage that as an industry. Yeah. And especially firms. I mean, that having that flexibility, I think, is very important and will allow people to, to not just read the things that the city bar and those things are putting out, but really take it to heart and give them the, the, the structure to be able to balance more of their lives. So yes, we're dealing with crazy stress, but like I said, if on a day where I worked out in the morning and then maybe something blew up at work, I could tell a difference in, in the way I handled it versus if I woke up late or had to, had to work all night and got any sleep. So I'm running on coffee and then something blows up at 2 PM. I I just know that I handle those situations differently. If, if I got a nice workout in and had a, had a good start to my day versus um, a, a rushed start to my day. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. I mean, I know I can always tell whenever I've worked out or like you said, when you've had a bad start to the morning. Right. But with all that being said, that's such great advice, but I just want to rewind and take a step back and go back to your law school journey and ask you where you went to school and how that was for you. Yes. So I went to Cardozo Law School in Manhattan. I love Cardozo. I'm still a super active alumni. I'm the co-chair of the fashion law group and uh, our school is just amazing at putting on networking events and really geared to intellectual property and and fashion law entertainment, which I I had no idea what entertainment law or even intellectual property was before going to Cardozo Law School. I actually went in not really sure what I wanted to do. And then I started meeting these incredible uh, alumni who were general counsels at huge fashion brands or entertainment lawyers who frequently split their time between LA and New York. And it was just really exciting. And I knew I wanted in. So Cardozo for me has been critical in developing my career and it continues to be. We'll be right back. Hey guys, we want to take a moment to talk about something that has been a game changer for us busy lawyers, Audible. Yes, Audible has been our go-to platform for incredible audiobooks, offering an extensive library of thrillers, nonfiction, autobiographies, and mysteries. 
And guess what? We've got a special treat for you. Audible is offering a free trial to our listeners, and all you need to do is check the link in the show notes. It's the perfect opportunity to experience the magic of audiobooks without spending a dime. Speaking of thrillers, I know you're currently hooked on Never Lie by Frida McFadden. Samantha, can you tell us a little bit about it? Absolutely. The twists and turns in Never Lie have kept me on the edge of my seat during the workday and even when I'm on my daily walks. It's like having a suspenseful companion wherever I go. And for those looking for some financial wisdom, I have been engrossed in My Money, My Way by Kamuku Love. It's packed with practical advice on managing finances, perfect for anyone trying to navigate the complexities of money management. What we love most is the flexibility Audible offers. As lawyers, our schedules can be unpredictable, but with Audible, we can enjoy our favorite books on the go, whether we're stuck in traffic, hitting the gym, or waiting for a court hearing. So if you're ready to embark on a literary journey and discover the joys of audiobooks, click the link in the show notes to start your free trial with Audible. Trust us, you won't want to miss out on this fantastic offer. So you said that you didn't really know what you wanted to do before law school. Um, So after you figured out that Cardozo did offer fashion law, was that one of the reasons that you attended Cardozo or was there, were there other schools you were also looking at? What ultimately drove you to go to Cardozo? To be completely honest, it was where (laughs) it was the best school and it was the most money that I got. And I'm being totally honest because I feel like, Right. Isn't that like, that's pretty much how most people make their decisions. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I I think that that is a hundred percent true. I know we get questions on like, how do I decide? And that's what we always say. So I'd love to hear that. That's what you did as well. Yeah. And so, and then when I got there, I had, I had no idea. Right. I, I didn't know that it was one of the top entertainment and intellectual property law schools. I just went because I loved New York. It was, it was ranked um, in the, in the top 50 law schools in the country. And yeah, like I said, I, I, I got the most money. And when I joined, I had no idea. I didn't even know what, I mean, looking back on it, I don't think any law student really knows what law school is until you, until you go through that first semester. Mm-hmm. So being there, I just think I got really lucky by, by going to the, the, to that school because it totally is the reason why I'm an IP lawyer today. It's the only reason why. Wow. That's really cool to hear. Okay. So tell us a little bit about your law school experience. Like what were your biggest struggles and what were some of your biggest accomplishments while you were at Cardoza? My biggest struggle was coming right from undergrad coming to New York with all of my friends who were working and not in law school. So yeah. I just thought it was like college part two. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mistake. Yeah. <laughs> so at first, you know, I was, I, I, I said to myself, Oh wow, there's only one exam. I don't have to study until <laughs> closer to the date. Devastating. Can you imagine how, how I felt? that last week of finals for the first time, I just realized that I, oh my gosh, I should have, I was supposed to be outlining, having weekly meetings with, 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 with my colleagues and asking them questions. And I just did not understand. So like many of us, right? (laughs) Yeah. And I, and I think that there's something to people who, who have, either work experience or didn't go right from law school. I just think they come in and may have take, take it differently because I, I really did think, Oh, you know, the professor's going to come in and they're going to tell me everything I need to know. I'm going to take really good notes. I'm going to memorize those notes. I'm going to know them in and out. And then I'm just going to regurgitate everything I had, you know, in my head and get an A, which was college, Mm -hmm. which totally is not how you take a law school exam. <laughs> That's so true. So for, so for me, that was definitely my biggest challenge, but luckily I was able to figure it out pretty quickly. And, you know, my grades improved significantly the second semester and, and, and so on. That's good to hear. <laughs> so what was your biggest accomplishment? <laughs> yeah, 
Okay. I was just thinking about, you know, I was thinking about this and I realized that this is actually an easy one. I was the editor in chief, of the Cardozo arts and entertainment law journal. Oh, and cool. yeah, it was, it truly defined my experience at Cardozo and which is really funny because side note, I'm writing an article that, that, that journal is going to be publishing next month. So I'm like on the other end of it now, but I remember being on the, on that end, being the editor in chief. It's such a process. Like you have an entire group of staff editors who will look at an article, make sure everything has a footnote, check that citation, make sure the citation matches what the attorney is, is proposing. It's just a very intensive process. And I loved it. I loved being able to, to work with two L's and also with my executive board. It was kind of my outlet because I think law school is really challenging and it's all consuming as, mm-hmm. as we all know, but finding something that relates to the law and being, whether it's, you know, getting involved in, in moot court or a law journal or even a bunch of the organizations that they have, I really, it defined my experience and I have some great memories, not only memories, I've made some very good friends and and colleagues through that because I think one of the most important things that a lot of of law students don't realize until, until they're out is that your, your colleagues in law school are not your competitors. They are your future clients your future referrals, maybe your future bosses or your future hires. And it's really important to be, to be nice and to, to network with them. And it's something that a lot of people don't focus on. So you may think that you're, you're competing with them, but you're really not. You're competing with yourself and you're in a room with a bunch of people who are your peers that you should be networking with. Yeah. I mean, we like to say that the competition is within me, not around me. And you just said it. It's so true. I mean, we also talked just last week to a Michigan lawyer and he said the very same thing about how the environment is small and your legal community is small and networking within that community is just so important for your your brand and your future firm and your job, you know. Totally, and and it could it, it depends. It, that that relationship that you build with your colleague can play out in any variety of ways. Like I said, it could be a. a you know, you go on LinkedIn and you're applying for a job at a firm where one of your former uh, colleagues is at now. And just the ability to reach out to him or her and say, hey, I'm really interested in your firm. You know, can, can I pick your brain? Or even going further, would you would you refer me? That's what it's all about, I think. <laughs> it's what it's all about, too, in just the practice of law in general. We, we're constantly networking. And I feel like law school doesn't really emphasize that as much. But for some reason... I caught on. I I learned that very early on. I learned the value of networking and making friends and building relationships with my with my peers in law school. And I also took advantage of the alumni network that they had to continue to network. So when I was editor in chief, I would you know I'd reach out to people because they because they were interested in hearing what I had to do. And I was just, I craved deeply to learn what other people were doing and the, the possibilities of law that were out there. And so I made a lot of contacts and, and developed relationships as a law, as a law student that I still have today. So for your first internship, was that through like an OCI process or did you use your networking skills that you learned to land that first internship? What was that like? 
I laugh about OCI because literally if, I mean, I don't understand why there's such an emphasis still on it today. <laughs> right. <laughs> it, it's, it blows my mind. I mean, of course, if you are the top 5% of your class, you definitely, and you have the grades for it, definitely you should be utilizing OCI. But what that literally means is that the 90 to 95% aren't, aren't going to be able to take advantage of OCI. It's yeah. just the reality of it. So how, how do law students find ways not through OCI? Um, I'll give my anecdote and then I can, and then I can give some general tips, but I got my first internship by going to a speed networking event at my law school as a 1L. I had no idea what IP was and I was just really eager and excited. And I went to this event and I literally met, I met a bunch of entertainment attorneys, in-house counsel, and I met two specific people there. I met the general counsel of a diamond company, New York, mm-hmm. who we, I, you know, immediately hit it off with, I followed up with him after another conversation or two offline, he offered me an internship. So that was my first summer internship. Wow. At that same event, yeah, it, 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 it happened very quickly. So then another contact I made was a partner at a trademark law firm. And he offered me a position to come in as a summer associate. But that was, again, that was after multiple correspondence back and forth offline. Mm-hmm. So that's the really important point is, you know, you meet someone, you got to follow up. Mm, yeah. Good tip. You don't Very have to... Yeah. Right. Like you don't have to do it in an, ob- an obnoxious way, but do it in, in a, in a way of approach it in a manner of enthusiasm and, um, you know, desire to learn more, hear about their career and, and offer things to them. If your law school's putting on an event that you think is of interest to them, send them the event, send them an article that they think they find interesting. You know, the more contact that you have with this person, the more you're starting to build an actual relationship. One that's not just based on you needing something. I feel like that is huge and really important that a lot of law students and and lawyers, frankly, don't understand is you network to build relationships. It's the number one goal. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So, what was your first job out of law school? I feel like based on your internships that you've been in IP and trademark since the very beginning. Is that true? Yeah. So, so that, that second attorney, that, that partner at the trademark law firm, um, I, I interned there as a 2L summer associate. And when I graduated, they offered me an associate position to start right out of law school. Wow. That's awesome. So tell us about that. I know that's what we all want, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and so when I worked there, I had no idea what, what really trademarks were except for my internship. Um, and I learned everything. I worked with top attorneys in the industry and for trademark law, you know, it's very specific. There's a, there's everyone kind of knows everyone, especially when you're in a city like New York. Um, I really learned trademarks in and out, which is what I wanted. And at the end of it, I realized this is definitely what I, what I wanted. But after my second year, I moved to a big law firm where I was able to do a little bit more holistic work. So at, at my first firm, I was doing really just, you know, standard trademark work, but at the place where I moved, I was able to work on more copyright and I love copyright. So that was awesome. I was able to do more transactional work and some really high level and important cases for some big clients. So you mentioned the copyright versus what, what was trademark. it? Trademark that you mentioned. So, and you said that work, what does that look like? What kind of work is that? Sure. So copy, so trademark deals, you know, with brands and names and, Whenever there is someone using your name or a similar name or there's a counterfeit product, that's really trademarks, whether it's you filing them, doing searches, or sending cease and desist letters. That's 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 how um, 
you know, that, that was my job still is my job. But then I, uh, when I moved to the other firm, I was doing a little bit more copyright work. So it involves copyright is the legal right that you get with creative works and expressive works. So it's how content, photos, story, books, music, the, the creative and artistic aspects are protected by copyright law. So I started working and I was doing everything from, you know, large scale copyright filings to copyright assignments. And also, um, you know, if an entertainment company purchased from the library, I would do all the copyright clearance work to make sure the titles were, were cleared and filing them at the copyright office, filing recordals. It's, you know, it's not just, um, not just straight filing work but it's also a lot of transactional matters because at the end of the day intellectual property which is you know the trademarks and copyrights that we're talking about those are actually that's actual property they're transferable they're assignable they are licensable so uh, being able to understand because at my first job I was I was uh, only really doing a very narrow area but the more and more I did, the more outside of my comfort zone, the more I was learning. And I think that's, that's really important, especially for my job now where I'm a partner and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm basically just taking things and, and, and running them. <laughs> we'll be right back. Are you a Caribbean American? Are you looking for a podcast that truly speaks to your culture and identity? Look no further than Carry On Friends, the ultimate destination for all things Caribbean American, hosted by me, Carrie Ann. Dive deep into topics such as culture, heritage, and everyday life through the unique lens of the Caribbean American experience. You'll walk away feeling more connected to your roots. Follow and listen on Apple Podcasts so you'll never miss an episode of Carry On Friends, the Caribbean American experience. Your Caribbean American community awaits. So you mentioned that you are a partner at your firm right now. So what is life as a partner look like in the trademark, copyright, patent, all like all the IP stuff, like what does that look like as a partner compared to as an associate? Yeah, it's, it's very different, right? So um, when you're associate, you literally are the associate of a partner. So your job is to support that partner, support their clients. And some firms um, encourage you to, to start your own book of business, but especially if you're at a big firm, you know, they may not be hiring you to bring in clients at this point. You're really, your job really is to service the, the partner's clients. So when you do that, you know, you're drafting reports and sending them to the partner to, to be reviewed, to be approved. The partner's the one that'll look at something and, you know, most of the time tell you how they want something drafted or done. And it's a, it's, it's a, it's a mutually beneficial relationship because the associate gets the opportunity to learn from that skilled and seasoned attorney who's a partner and the partner benefits because their hourly rate is so high that they can work with an attorney who can bill out at a lower rate. And so they can have the attorney do research. They can have the, I'm sorry, the associate do research. Mm -hmm. They can have the associate do the initial draft and the revisions. And so on an invoice, what, what would go out to a client may be associate prepare and draft to prepare and draft letter to 2.0 hours. And then the partner is like a 0.5 for review and revise. Gotcha. gotcha. That's, yeah, I really, like, I realize that's something that I take for granted, but that's, that is really how it looks like. That's the relationship. Um, and, and so the associate can do more work. They can hit their billable hour requirements and the partner, you know, depending on the firm, but most firms partners don't really have, it's, it's less about the hours and more about the, 
what, how many clients you bring in and, and the mm. money you bring in. Gotcha. You have different responsibilities at that point. You know, yeah, you're trying to keep the doors open. Yes, correct. And and so it may be more important for origination. Origination means uh, w- what clients are you bringing in? And some firms give specific credit for origination and partners. That's very imp- it's a very important number. But for associates, it'll depend. Some firms, it doesn't matter. And others, it's, it's, it becomes more important as you become a senior associate if you want to become a partner. They're going to look to, A, you know, make sure you're hitting your billable hour requirements. But importantly, like, are you generating revenue and are you bringing in business? And that's how they tell um, if, if that origination credit is high, then, you know, you may be considered partner track. So I'm guessing um, once you get to senior associate, they take a look at all your statistics and the highest, you know, the the people who bring in the highest amount of revenue, are they the ones who go up for partner or how does that even work? Because I don't really. Sure. Yeah, it really depends, to be honest. Um, unfortunately, there's way more involved than the figures. There's also a lot of politics, like speaking bluntly. That's really what it comes down to. If if they like you and they trust you, you know, um, the numbers are what they are, and they'll figure out a way. If if you're if you're someone who they see has potential to be a to be a rainmaker, you know, and to bring in business, and and they like working with you, then they're gonna they're gonna most likely they're gonna bring you on. But if you're someone who has had troubles with the firm, you don't really get along well with people. I mean, it happens all the time. Where people just get blacklisted. Mm-hmm. And so they may be hitting all their numbers. They may be hitting the origination. But if someone doesn't like you, and at many firms, they have to all vote on you. Like people, people who you don't even work with. Yeah. There's, there's a lot, a lot that goes behind it. So truly, you know, my best advice, if you, if you are looking to become a partner is, is being, being open to work with not just your main supervisor, but also working with other partners because, because you may need their votes eventually. And, um, you know, not being a jerk. (laughs) Yeah. That's always helpful. Yeah. (laughs) You know, sometimes you take it for granted, but like, as we've all seen, there's clearly, huge jerks in our industry. Yeah. And at the end of the day, if you want to get promoted, like people need to, to like you and, and, and respect you. Yeah. And I guess that can all start from law school, you know, like you said, some of that your colleagues are going to be your boss one day or like a partner at that firm that you want to be partner at. So totally, totally. It all comes full circle. <laughs> Definitely. I, that's my general rule. Even with opposing counsel, I, I'm never, I'm never nasty. There's just not a reason to. That's a good you know? rule. Yeah. That's important to remember. There, at the end of the day, if you, you have your claims, you, you know, you have to, you have to assert them. Of course you can't be a pushover, but there's no reason to, to, to be nasty, especially because you never, again, going back to it being a small network. You never know. You never know if you're going to be on, you may need to work together as co-counsel or that person may not be happy with their firm and then they may want to come to your firm or vice versa. Just just don't be a jerk. There's no reason to. So with you being a female, obviously, and working your way up to partner, how did that look at your firm? And also being a recent mom, how does that look? And do you think that that affects your journey? Do you think that that's part of the reason why you think flexibility is so important in the workplace? You know, how does that look going forward? I know so many of us want to be partners of law firms and have our own law firm and want to have a family. So if you could just talk a little bit about that, I think that'd be great. Yeah. And I also think it's important, not only for females, but also like guys, don't you want to have more lifestyle don't you want to be there and and I know I mean my husband he he wants to be there not my my male colleagues too um I just feel like the old school way of doing things for both men and women 
does not encourage flexibility. The flexibility that is needed for people to thrive in their careers and at home. And without certain changes and flexibility, I just don't see, I think people have to make choices. They have to make mm-hmm. hard choices. Yeah. And the, the great thing I love is seeing your generation and the younger generations and this whole group of really active, creative law students like you guys who are podcasting, putting out the content, making Instagram. You're using your voices in a way that I don't think any generation of lawyers has ever done before. And with, with that, I think is going to come a lot of changes that you guys are going to push on these firms. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's going to be changes that are going to be made clearly post COVID. I do think that that remote working, whether full-time or part-time, um, even if it's part-time, I think that there's going to be some changes that firms are going to have to make. And if they don't, there's going to be other firms that, great talent, young talent is going to pick over an old school firm where there's zero flexibility. Mm -hmm. So to answer your question, yes, I think for, especially for women, moms, because at the end of the day, the reality is we are the ones who have to give birth Mm -hmm. and physically recover from childbirth. Um, it's very critical that law firms, companies as well, have policies set in place, not only good mat leave policies, but I think good flexibility policies to let people work remotely part-time and be there for their families on, for important things. I think we just need to change that as a culture. And I, I once we do, I think we're definitely going to see much more gender and overall diversity. Yeah, because I see that a lot of law students or moms that want to go to law school, like a big deterrent is the industry of law itself. You know, they're like, well, once I graduate and if, you know, I find a job at a firm, like I won't be able to have that family life that I wanted or want, still want, you know, so I definitely, we've had a lot of conversations with moms in general who feel the same exact way that you do. So I definitely think that a change needs to happen. I, hopefully we're part of that change, you know, in starting that. So yeah, just using your voice and thank you for having a platform where people can, can, can speak and advocate. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, I'm still, I'm still working the same amount, you know, as Mm -hmm. I was at a big law firm, but I may, I may maybe take the morning to be with my son. Yeah. And, and before I start work and then I may start work at 10 or 11. Um, I, I stop at five 30 so we can eat dinner together and, and I can spend time with my son before he goes to sleep. But once he does, I'm, I'm back online. I work till nine or 10 o'clock at night. You know, it's not a matter of, I, I think that's a myth to say that people, people have families like don't work as hard. It's if not, you're, you know, you're, you're working even harder, Yeah, but exactly. it's more like time shifting, I think. So the ability to have flexibility, the ability to time shift I think is really critical. And if, if employers encourage their employees, you know, to, to have that flexibility, but still hit their milestones and get the job done. Um, I, I think we're just, we're going to see a lot more diversity. So what does a day to day, like, what does your perfect, I mean, maybe not perfect, but your ideal day at work look like? given everything you said, I know you said sometimes you come in a little bit later and like have the pause day. I know we hear a lot of lady lawyers talk about that. So and I'm sure everyone is dying to know what IP lawyer does every day. So tell the listeners what your day-to-day life looks like. Okay. So just generally, I'll give you like total because this is more about, you know, like me, my lifestyle too, not just like substantive work. Okay. So I wake up, um, today I went for a run with my son 
I put him in the stroller and I know it's like freezing here, but mm-hmm. anything above 30 degrees, we're outside. I put him in a snowsuit and wrap up the stroller. Love so what, <laughs> it's really hilarious. I think you can go <laughs> on my like TikToks and Instagram. There's some pictures of, of it, of like my son. He's, he's adorable and like, like a little cocoon in there, but okay. So, <laughs> But that's my, my morning is a, right? Like prior first thing I do is, is move exercise. Even if it's just like a yoga, a 20 minute yoga video I do. That's the first thing I do. Um, and being with my son, then I start work around nine 30, 10 o'clock. But really the first thing I do before I even go on, get to emails, I create content. I know everyone's different. I was just talking about this today, but what I've been doing is I really do carve out an hour or two in the mornings um, to get that content out. I'll make, I'll make short videos. I'll make a couple posts. So it's literally the first thing I do. And it's been really important. And frankly, the reason why I'm able to, to stay on top of it and make it a priority. Cause I, I do, I really prioritize um, my, my, my content and building these platforms. Cause I think it's just critical for, for legal marketing right now. Um, then I go on, onto my computer, I go to emails because, um, again, of course it's very important, but there's typically, you know, there's not very many emergencies, especially because I'm not a litigator. I, my, my deadlines kind of spread out if we had an office action, which is like a refusal of a trademark application, we, we typically have, you know, a couple months of the deadline. So I, I basically know what my day is going to look like and, and when there's deadlines um, and when there's emergencies. So if there's clearly, you know, client emergencies or something, I may take a call at nine, but then I may, I may go for a run at one o'clock instead. So mm-hmm. it's all about that time shifting. So I go to my computer and then substantively, what I do is trademark searches and filings. So client comes to me and says, Francesca, we have this name that we want to, we want to use. Can you run a trademark search and see if it is available? So I run a trademark search. I use a third party software, type in the mark. I type in the goods. I look to see if there are any marks, third party marks that are confusingly similar. I also look and do a brief internet search to see if there's any high level um, marks that are being used in commerce. So I send that report to the client. If it looks good, we, we prepare the application and we file. It's a huge chunk of my day. It's called trademark prosecution. If you're interested, (laughs) doesn't mean it doesn't mean it's it's a huge word. I feel like a lot of people really don't know, but it doesn't mean, you know, prosecution in a criminal sense. It, it really means like search clearance filing. And I also, we review cease and desist letters. So if my client gets a letter from someone saying that they're infringing their trademark, we'll come up with a strategy for a response. And I'm literally just looking at my email, seeing what else I did today. Um, I have a, I'm doing some trade secret stuff. I'm doing research for a client on how to protect some of their, their, uh, their products under trade secret. And again, a lot of this comes down to being just holistically a good lawyer, understanding big concepts and how to advise a client. Even though I'm a trademark attorney, if I see something, I know enough about patent law where I can, I, I can comment generally and say, you know what, like I, you should, you should talk to my patent colleague. There may be a utility patent here. There may be something with a design patent you can do. So I do a lot of general counseling and like holistic advice for clients. And I do that throughout the day. I'm on the phone a lot because I do a lot of counseling. A lot of this sometimes done over the phone, especially because I don't want to put it in writing for liability purposes. Mm-hmm. and I, you know, some fun stuff, I guess I help clients come up with, with branding strategies overall. I'll help clear some of their marks that they use on for podcast names like yours. <laughs> Very cool. And yeah, it's a lot of stuff that you'd literally see. I remember like 
when I was commuting um, from my old job, I was working on trademarks that I could see all the time in Times Square, like on my walk to the office, which is really cool. Oh, wow. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah. And so, and so then again, five o'clock comes, uh, I stop, take a break, eat dinner with my family. And then I typically log back in. It's the, the end of my day, ironically, is the, the time I get the most stuff done because I'm not answering the phone all day. I can actually delegate time to, to, to things that I really need to look at in depth or just e- responding to emails. That's really the time that I get that stuff done. I have a quick question and this is kind of like off topic, but on topic at the same time. So with influencers and Instagram being really big right now, when you're creating content on there, what are there any, like, what's the recourse when you think that someone is like copying your Instagram posts? Is that I like, would that fall under IP? Definitely. Let's have IP. Your trademark is your is your name, Lady mm-hmm. Podcast. Your your content is is this what we're talking about now? This your copyright. Mm-hmm. Good to know. What you create in your photo, yeah. And I I hope you guys are using you know your TM symbols and your copyright symbols because the the photos and the content that you're creating is all your stuff. So imagine if someone starts you know using your podcast name or taking your content and, and posting it without your permission, you know, that's, that's infringement. And so the way that you protect them is, you know, you use the TM notice, you use the little copyright symbol, but what I found, unfortunately, is that can only get you so far. If there's things that you really are, you know, you really want to protect, you have to file. Mm. You just, it's so important. I, I can't tell you. I'm working on a couple of cases right now where, where I have I, through 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 social media. So people found me on on Instagram and they say, Francesca, I've been using this name as as my brand name for five years. I have the domain name. I have all the social media handles. But now all of a sudden, so and so filed a trademark application, and I want to stop them. And it's so difficult because the law. Although trademark rights are based on use, like you guys have your trademark name, even you have it protected, even though you haven't filed for it, you know, that protection only gives you, it's, it's protected limitedly. It's, it's very narrow protection versus filing. And when I have clients who come to me and say, I want to enforce my rights based on use and not registration, it just becomes really, really messy. And so if anyone is listening to this and they're thinking about trademark registration, um, even copyright registration for in, for your core names and your core content, please file applications. Please, it will save you much more in the long run, and it'll also help your attorney out a lot. So, to make to make it not as difficult. Well, I guess we're definitely taking note of that. Yeah. <laughs> so, what would you say is your tip to? the future lady lawyer that wants to get into IP and that's in law school right now or about to start law school, you know, what's your tip to her? My tip to any individual starting law school is to really immerse yourself in, in, in law school and get good grades. Watch, watch videos online, read content, watch content like, like you and, and our peers that they're putting out on how to take law school exams because I really you know, I'm speaking personally, I really didn't figure that out until after the grades came out. And I was used to getting very high marks. And I just, I didn't know, I didn't know how to take a test. And I really encourage first years to learn and focus on their classes, outline, spend time outlining each week, ask questions if you don't understand something. It's very important. And then from there, you know, spend some time and, and network. I know a lot of 1Ls who um, have created accounts and they're, you know, managing their, they're managing both duties. But I would say, you know, again, within the theme of priorities, your grades are your number one priority. And then number two is your networking. And attend as many networking events as you can. Connect with people on LinkedIn. Network with your peers. That's really um, my best advice 
ask, reach out to people, say you're interested in learning about IP law and just learn, learn what IP law is. What is, what is my day to day like? What is a IP in-house attorney's day like? There's a lot of people out there who are willing to speak to, to students. So I definitely encourage you guys when, you know, number one is your grades, but then when you have the time to, to reach out network and ask people in the industry, um, what their jobs are like. Yeah, I think that's great advice. I know that I personally have been super interested in IP and just fashion law in general. So just hearing your journey and story, you know, has made me excited to learn even more about it because, you know, here in Oklahoma City, it there's not much, I mean, there might be I like firms that have IP, but it's not a huge market here. So um, the exposure that you just, you know, gave us was really awesome. So thank you. Well, thank you so much, Francesca. So why don't you tell everybody where they can find you? You can go on Instagram. It's the easiest way. I'm at the trademark attorney. And if you guys want to connect with me, please do follow me. I'm also on TikTok at IP lawyer Francesca. And if you guys do have more questions or just want to connect, um, you can always DM me or click on the link in my Instagram bio. You can set up a call. We know that our listeners are definitely going to be checking out your profile because you do post a lot of interesting stuff all the time. So listeners, if you're listening now, go check out her Instagram and all the links. But um, yeah, we enjoyed having you so much. Thank you for taking the time out of your day with, you know, time difference and all that to talking with us. And, you know, like I said, I really, really enjoyed learning more about it because I personally am really interested in IP. So thanks again. I'm so happy. Thank you, ladies. Have a wonderful evening. think I definitely want to look more into IP law after talking with her. I, like I said, um, in Oklahoma, there's not a lot of IP, but I did find a firm that does IP. So I will let you guys know how I try to weasel myself into maybe shadowing or talking to one of those lawyers. Yeah, there was so much about trademark law and copyright law that I didn't understand or really even know what goes on. And she taught us so much. Also, I love her videos online on TikTok and on Instagram that help, you know, us understand what's going on in the world um, of copyright and trademark law and just, you know, current events. Like she was talking about Taylor Swift and Evermore. And I was thinking like, what? That's nuts. So yeah, make sure you follow her guys. And if you have any questions about becoming a future IP lawyer, you know, make sure and reach out to her. I know that she'd be more than willing to chat with you guys. So next week, we have a very exciting episode coming up. I know it is one of my most favorite ones. I love Valentine's, like dating stuff. I mean, if, you know, you know about us, we really like the podcast, Girls Gotta Eat. So like, that's obviously it's not going to be like that. Trust me, you will not be like, it will not be like that, but um, we will be reading some stories that you guys sent us over of your love in law school, good and bad. So that will be next Monday. And yeah, so we're really excited for Valentine's Day. As always, we just remember it seems like just the other day we were recording our first Valentine's Day episode last year. So we are excited to add some more stories to the Valentine's Day episode. So we appreciate everyone who reached out and submitted stories as well. Well, you guys, you know where to find us. Make sure and join our Facebook group. We have a lot of good conversations going on in there about LSAT, letters of recommendation, all of that stuff, as well as, you know, sometimes you just need to hear something positive or, you know, you had a bad situation at school and you need to talk to someone. We totally get it. The Facebook group is totally where you should go. Follow us on Instagram at Ladies Who Law School Podcast. We post Monday, Wednesday, and Friday of every week and stories every single day, of course. Yeah, guys. So make sure and follow us and connect with us on LinkedIn too, as well in all the different places. You know where to find us if you want to chat. 
and we will talk to you guys again next week. Have a safe and healthy week, guys. I know that it's crazy out there and winter is upon us. Um, so make sure you guys are keeping warm and safe and healthy and taking care of people around you too. Bye, guys. Bye. That was so long. Sorry. <laughs>